that's the hot dun, 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 dun. It's that, the deep dive. It's the deep dive. Isn't doesn't the Hockey Night in Canada theme song? Isn't that gone? It's, now? it's, it's, it's been it's gone, gone for a yeah. long time. Yeah, I think TSN has it? it. Can I? Can we get it? How much would we have to pay for the? <laughs> for the? Because how cool would that be? That would. It's be. the deep dive theology podcast. It was yeah. catchy, man. Yeah, that was good. It's very good. Um, so, Colin. So, Ben, how's it going? It's going well, man. It's been it's forever. Well. It's been it's been a long time. <laughs> been a minute. It's been a minute, literally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we're literally picking up just from a few minutes after our <laughs> our last podcast because. But I'm not going to tell anybody. Situations. We're not going to be anybody. kind to Jeff's time. <laughs> hey, Jeff. We don't. Do we give enough credit to Jeff? Produ- and producer all this? Jeff. Producer Jeff. <laughs> So, so yeah, so pick it up from our, what we talked about last time. We were just talking about the Bible uh, last time, it, the Bible specifically as it's deconstructed and criticized by uh, people on Twitter, and and so we threw around some terms and... And, and a lot wanted, of names. And a lot of names. And a lot of names were said. And we <laughs> wanted to sort of pick up with maybe telling a bit more of the story that, you know, we mentioned last time about how the Bible is like a living... Thing. It's a part of our Christian tradition. So I guess we wanted to talk a little bit about mm-hmm. the story of how we got our um, scripture. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, it's interesting, right? Because I think um, this this is certainly a topic that's problematic for a lot of people, again, and it, it certainly uh, problematizes this whole idea that scripture is authoritative, because if scripture is authoritative, then how it was formed obviously matters to people, because there's a major question of like, well, why these texts and not others? Yes. Um, and I actually think the answers to these are, are simpler than, than maybe people want to make them out to be. But um, it's interesting talking about the Bible and how we read it, yeah. that one of the catalysts, I would say, it's not the reason per, exactly, but it, one of the catalysts for the definitive formation of Scripture actually has to do with how one guy was reading the Bible mm-hmm. <laughs> and a reaction to it. And so uh, maybe we could talk about this fella. His name was Marcion of Sinope. And in the early church, Marcion is maybe what you would say, what you could call the first literalist. Mm. Uh, he read the Bible very literally. And a couple of things about Marcion that are interesting is that uh, he, he's exiled from the church in the second century, I believe. Uh, I hope I have my dates right. But Marcion, Marcion is this uh, sort of, uh, uh, he's rhetorically quite gifted. He gives a lot of money to the church. He's sort of seen as an authority in that sense. He's, he's, he's attractive, you know? He's, he's, people like him. So he's yeah. able to convince a lot of people. Or he's able to, like, stir up controversy and have a follower. Uh, have a following. Um, but he he is the first guy who kind of looks at the Bible and looks at the New Testament, and as it is part of the continuation of the Old, because it's connected with the what we call the Masoretic text or the you know Hebrew Scripture, Torah, you know, to them it's not Old Testament quite yet, all right? At least that language doesn't apply. He looks at this as, if Christianity is the continuation, uh, we got a problem because the Old Testament God, he's real mean and nasty, and he doesn't fit with this new Jesus fella. So why did Marcion feel that way? And how did the church respond, right? Because Christianity sees itself not as a break from Judaism, but as its fulfillment, as its sort of, you know, its continuation. Uh, we talked a little bit last episode about the fact that 
many theologians today, uh, certainly in the post-liberal tradition, as I mentioned, want to reimagine us as honorary Jews, mm. that really we need to go back to more Jewish readings of Scripture, and that a lot of what we've done to the Old Testament is we've Christianized it in ways that are problematic. So how do we read this all as a unified whole becomes a major thing, and Marcion was one of these figures who really problematized it. And he was he lived back in the second century, early third, maybe second. I, believe, I, I you know what you could Wikipedia this really quickly, yeah. but I believe he's like born in the first century, dies in the second. Fair enough. I think he crosses that. It could be wrong. But despite the we'll fact that he out. was from like a long time ago, yeah, these his questions are our questions, or at least the questions of many people. Certainly, yeah, many it people, sticks around, right? I mean, it's a major question for a lot of people yeah. today. I mean, how many times ha- have I heard from from friends of mine who aren't Christian, or some uh, many who are? about, you know, this this mean, nasty Old Testament God. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just even that term, Old Testament God, yeah. conveys the idea of wrath and harshness right. and, and such. And we use it that way in our in our context. And I know there's many Christians even who are like, why, you know, who, who have this idea mm-hmm. that the Old Testament God is mean and nasty, mm. and but Jesus is all loving and grace. Yeah. Which is not really very true. Yeah, it's just not true. I mean, it doesn't. It, to me, it's it's interesting how I'm certainly somebody like Marcion. I, I, I assume would have been fairly well versed in these things, but it's amazing to me that when that argument comes up, it just sounds to me like somebody who hasn't really read their Bible because Jesus says things all the time that are incredibly difficult for yes. many of us to hear. And judgmental. Sound, yeah. And right? That are harsh and that are... You're going to go to hell. Yeah, right. You know, uh, yeah. Uh, Matthew 25, right? That's right. I mean, like, you know, there's all kinds of... Now, so the, the first Weeping of all... Weeping and painting, gnashing of teeth. The painting of Jesus as some sort of hippie, like, hey, peace and love, everybody. You know, let's all <laughs> just get along. Hey, why can't we all just get along, man? Is, um, is definitely a, a wrong view. And then also, though, it shows a lack of reading the Old Testament and sort of That's understanding right. that God of the Old Testament is the God of the Old Testament loving, is a and loving merciful. God. And absolutely, you know, this always has struck me, Colin. I don't know if you've, you know, when you look at uh, somebody like Richard Dawkins, okay, yes. one of the leading atheists of the New Atheist movement, that you know, is kind of was a fad and has sort of gone away. I think most people, honestly, are embarrassed by Richard Dawkins now, even even in atheistic circles. So mm. I don't know how much it says about him, but. Uh, you know, when he first wrote The God Delusion, his his big book against Christianity, he had that famous quote in there where he's like, the God of the, the, God of the Old Testament is jealous and nasty and brutish, and he did all these things. And and I just think it goes to... excellent Dawkins. Was that a good Dawkins? Yeah. yeah, yeah and, and brutal and nasty. Brutal and nasty. All love. It's all love. Um, God bless Dawkins. <laughs> God bless Dawkins. Uh, you know, we talked about how... It, it's about how are we reading scripture, and I was talking about playing by the rules of the text, right? I mean, yes. like, it's not about what we get to impose on it. The text presents itself in a certain way, and what I always think when I hear that Dawkins quote is, like, you don't get to say that because the Bible doesn't say that about it. You might read the Bible, and you might look at God and disagree with the things God does. So you might be Richard Dawkins, and you read the story of Noah, and you go, that sounds really nasty. Yes. He, he destroyed the whole planet or whatever, and it's like, you might think that, but the Bible says that God is loving and steadfast, steadfast in love, slow to anger, merciful, right. right? So really, the see, I just think this is about that context of belief of like when you approach the text, are we going to look at it 
and go, God is really this nasty figure? Or should we ask maybe the wiser question, I think, which is, what would make a God who is merciful and steadfast in love wipe out the planet? <laughs> what, if God is described as loving, how, by the Bible, by the writers themselves, by Moses, by, okay, how then can it be said that he, that he, that he regrets making his creation? Yeah, and we're, and we're not taking a close look at what, at the reasons why God did that, that the world was full of violence. Exactly. And the, you know. the language is used, even that, that it was like human beings had already almost undid mm-hmm. creation mm-hmm. completely, like living things, life, harmony was on the edge of being gone. I think that's where before even getting into the idea that that we're clearly not when we when you're doing the Marcion thing and saying yes. God of the Old Testament is violently God and who isn't, you're not doing a close reading of scripture to begin with. Yes. But even before getting to that point, um, that people who read those texts initially, their problem wasn't with God being vengeful and wrathful and taking out those who created injustices. Yeah. If anything, the controversy was about uh, Jesus saying, I forgive them. Mm. <laughs> now, that's mm. present all the way in the Old Testament as well. But I just yes. think I, it's funny to me that it seems like 2,000 years of Christian history has actually shaped our thinking, which makes us rebel against the Bible. Yes. So it's ironic. It's like we are fighting this Old Testament God for being so nasty, and that's a principle that largely we get from God himself. Yeah. Now, I just find that, you know, you look at the book of Job. uh, Sorry, not Job, uh, Jonah. One of my favorite books of the Old Testament. Yeah. Jonah is, he he goes to prophesy to the Ninevites and say, like, you need to repent. And you need to turn away. And the, you know, the analogy is like, that's like a Jew going into Hitler's Germany and being like, repent. So we're talking about really nasty people. And, uh, you know, that'd be an analogy. They do repent. And God goes, I'm not going to do anything about it then. They've repented. And Jonah, Jonah's like, Whipped out of shape. Bent out of shape. Bro, bro, like you're not going to rain down fire on these dudes? That's the mentality, right? God forgives them. Yes. So that parallels Jesus entirely in the New Testament. And yet, see, I think, I think anyway, we're looking sometimes at that problem, and it's, it's not really there. Yeah. Um, uh, we want a God, first of all, who pours out wrath on injustice. That's, first of all, we want that. I, I don't, I, maybe people haven't been pressed to a situation enough where, but it seems to me like when people challenge this, it's always like it caters to their, it depends on how they're feeling that day. It's like <laughs> if I've experienced, you know, God's only nasty when I'm, you know, feeling really good about humanity. And then when, yes. when somebody cuts me off in traffic, I'm like, rain down fire <laughs> on this guy, you know? So, so the, the point is there doesn't seem to be uh, a, a break and at the same time, the wrestling with that question, because I do think it's valid, there are times when we can look at the Bible and go, these things don't look like they fit. Um, it's important, I, I think, that we don't try and smooth over those edges. That's part of the mystery of what Scripture is. It's part yeah. of the living into uh, God's Word and allowing God's Word to be God's Word. That's and right. go, it doesn't always fit with my sensibilities. It doesn't always... but. But I think a close reading would show you how, how much closer the God of the Old Testament and Jesus really are. That's right. And, and again, you know, I think both of us c- can speak to this, the fact that there might be difficult things in the Bible, but the, the answer is not to quit on it, to say, oh, I'm not going to read Paul, or 
like Marcion, all the Old Testament should be, you know, edited out or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a way for us to just trust, trust God, trust the Christians that came before us. Right. That's a nasty, that's an unwelcome bedfellow with a lot of people. It is. I mean, to to say, but this is again, I mean, but the solution will come, you know, you know, I think I really believe that. Otherwise I wouldn't still be a Christian. Well, I think that's, it kind of goes back to, again, what we had talked about last episode. It like, it requires that faith for it, right? The the old axiom of the church that's still here. Anselm of Canterbury is the one who kind of gives it to us in its full form, but uh, fide quarens intellectum, faith seeking understanding. Mm. Uh, we have to have faith that seeks understanding. We can't work from my understanding of the world and try and fit God into it, right? I mean, uh, God has to present himself the way God presents himself. And and that's where we can trust, actually. It requires that sort of, um, uh, that, that sort of upfront confessional, like, I surrender to kind of what this is, yeah. and, then it, and then it will make sense. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely at a place in my theological, spiritual journey where if I think something that the, the Bible opposes and I'm having a tough time with it, I, I really go, I'm pretty sure Scripture's right about this and I'm just definitely not reading it correctly, mm. <laughs> right? Like, I'm, I'm mm. wrong. I, I, and I have to... And if you don't live there, I think, I think that's problematic. Um, and those are two words that are very hard for us to say. It is, I'm yeah. wrong. I'm wrong, yeah. Um, or even that. I might be wrong. Yeah. You know, those are tough. Well, we were talking about Marcion and about how he kind of yeah. throws out the Old Testament. He even throws out much of the New Testament, except for what he edits himself yeah, so to Marcy, remove those those Hebrew things. Marcion is an anti-Semite, it yes. must be said. I mean, so part of this is really fueling his, right? He believes that, you know, people Judaizing the text is a real problem. And so um, that's a major motive for what he's doing. Uh, that's why, so yeah, he redacts even the New Testament, gets rid of everything, basically. He gets rid of almost all of uh, all of it except for some edited versions of Paul, and then he gets rid of all the Gospels except for Luke, which is also heavily edited. Yes. And Luke is a Gentile. That's why he keeps him in there. He's not Jewish. So, <laughs> so I mean, that goes to show you. But, uh, but besides just being an anti-Semite and leaving it all there, I mean, part of it is, like I said, he's the first literalist. He's trying to read... He, he reads the text in such a way that um, the God of the Old Testament just doesn't make say he's not he doesn't put allegory in anything yes. so like why is god uh why is god wondering where adam is in the garden if he's on mission right, right? Yeah. and it's like you're not he giving can't understand the, things in more than one way yeah you're not allowing the text to kind of just be what the maybe this is a story yeah. about you know maybe we're trying to put into language certain things that that aren't so supposed yeah. to be taken so literally and allowing for that now some people have said that marcin with his you know collections of Paul and Luke mm. was the that his was the first canon of the New Testament. Yeah, right. Would you agree with that? Or what would be your thoughts um, about that? Where uh, does the canon n- come no, from? No, I then? actually I don't think I would, but let me put it this way, and I think this is why this is really important for discussing canon and how it came to be formed and how, like I said, Marcion is a catalyst for that, is what we see with Marcion as the language we've been just using, he edits and he redacts. Now for him to be editing or redacting he must already be working with something that's yes. there. And so this is where there is truth to the fact that the kind of like finality of the bookends it doesn't of scripture don't happen until the 5th century. 
And a lot of skeptics and a lot of, you know, people who, you know, there's a lot of people who have a problem with this. And they look yeah. at it and they go like, well, you can't trust this. It's put together. You know, go listen to the Joe Rogan podcast and listen to yes. that guy wax on about this. I mean, it's just, it's mind-numbing. But it is. he'll go, you know, the Bible's just put together by a bunch of bishops because Constantine was in power. And, like, it's just a completely false reading. Absolutely. Constantine did not have much to do with no, the really didn't. Council of Nicaea besides calling it. No, exactly, right? Uh, yeah, we can maybe get into that language. But, uh, you know, Constantine, first emperor of Rome, who becomes a Christian, basically just until then, Christians are being persecuted so unbelievably horrifically, right, that uh, Constantine just sort of allows for Christians to come out of their hiding and be like, all right, get together and figure out what you're talking about, you know, yeah. and, um, and, you know, there's a whole history there we could get into, but the point is, is it is not the case that a bunch of bishops got together and went, this is the Bible now. Yeah, and and, and, um, and the, there's no record in the Nicene papers, whatever you want to call them, the documents from Nicaea of yeah of that has to do with them deciding what the canon of the New Testament was. No, um, no. to no, some that degree, later in, the, in other councils that they actually discuss. These yeah, things. most of the books of the New Testament were pretty much agreed upon by the time you get to Nicaea. That's some, exactly, and so some that's that exactly were right. Questionable. So, some that were, yeah, well, and this is where, you know, and this this always gets scandalized, too. You'll see this on the shelves of every <laughs> chapter's bookstore again, where it's like the gospel, the hidden gospel of Judas. Yes. The apocryphal, you know, the these texts, the, the gospel of Thomas was, you know, kept from you by the Vatican for you. Yes. All nonsense. No, it is nonsense. Really what's happening is, is in the early church, again, you have, you know, Paul is writing letters as early as 50 AD, and they're in circulation. And Christian communities are gathering in different areas all around uh, Asia Minor and Africa. And yeah. Okay, so it's, it's growing in these areas. Yeah. And they don't have, and not everyone has been able to get together yet, right, and kind of discuss things. But the point is, you have certain letters that are just in circulation. And it just so happens when, you know, I'm kind of reducing this to a more simplistic way of putting it. But when everyone gets together, there's this conversation of like, well, what are you reading? Well, we're reading... Paul, we, you know, obviously people from Ephesus read the letter to the Ephesians, and obviously the people from Corinth read the, but also right. the Gospels. Like, yes. oh, you have Matthew's Gospel, okay, you have Luke, you have Mark, you have, right? Yeah. So then you people... Have pretty early on, the four Gospels early. as a, almost like like as a unit. Like yeah, absolutely, there, and more early on than, much question than at all about that. Uh, no, you know. There are interesting debates in New Testament studies, certainly of like the prior, which books came first, and that's always been a very interesting uh, discussion. So like Mark and priority would be a, yeah. a leading most argument. Most people agree about that. But. Yeah, most people do. It's kind of had questions throughout. But like, so Matthew, even though it's the first book that begins the New Testament, most believe that Mark is actually the first written. That gets into a whole thing. There's Mark, and then, you know, there's there's what's called the Q source. Q source yes. refers to a German word uh, that, that, anyway, it's like another... Hypothetical... An oral, an oral tradition, tradition that they all derived it from. Yeah. But the point is, is these texts are already being used as authoritative, sort of like, this is what the Christian community yeah. has expressed and developed, and this is what we have. And so you see this writing... Uh, in all of the early church figures from like Irenaeus and, yep. uh, you know, well, I, especially actually in, in people like Irenaeus, you start to see the language that forms like the creeds and things like that. Yes. So there's already a sense in which um, there is the, the, the canon of scripture 
is already what's being used. It just hasn't been very, it just hasn't been clarified yet. Yeah. And this is where somebody like Marcion steps on the scene and tries to make all these edits and yeah. goes, this is what's authoritative. And it forces the church to go, all right, we need to, we need to be quite clear about yeah. what we're referring to. But this has always been what we've been referring to. Yes. It's not now let's arbitrarily just start picking things out. That's right. And a part of what makes these texts authoritative in the way that we refer to them as Holy Scripture is that they are, they are most of them are eyewitness accounts, but they are formed after a Jesus, the Jesus tradition. Now, you can talk about the Johannine, like John's gospel looks a little bit different than Matthew's and Luke's, but they are all... They are all saying the same. They're all offering the same gospel. Yeah. They are giving different interpretations of that gospel for different reasons. Yep. And this is this is difficult again, where people get into these questions of they are like Marcion. They want to we we want to be in our contemporary culture hyper literal, and we want to be very clear about well, what did he really mean by that? Did this really happen this way? Did this really? And it seems to me that the gospel writers are not concerned with a literal history in the same way we are. Um, they are writing in such a way, I, I like putting it this way, they are writing in such a way that they are describing what's really going on, but what you would not have seen had you been there. Mm. So if you were there in the first century and you were at Golgotha, you would have watched a homeless rabbi get crucified, Yeah. right? It might not have meant anything to you. The Gospel of John, for instance, as a very high theological gospel, spiritual gospel, is trying to tell us that that person that you saw is the incarnate Son of God. Yeah. Okay? And that's who is being created. And so he's, it's all based in history. It's all based in th those facts, which must Eyewitness be facts accounts, in order yeah. for these to be. But it is trying to elevate the language and trying to show us, like, here's what's really going on behind yeah. the scenes. And so... They were written in a different culture than than what if if Jesus was here today, we totally, would totally have, I mean, video cameras and... You know, Picture phones. it didn't happen. Picture, Picture it didn't happen. That's you what know, I all say. kinds of things. Yeah, well, this is exactly yeah. right. So I just get, you know, you will find there's a scholar named Bart Ehrman, for instance, a New Testament scholar from Princeton. God bless he, Bart Ehrman. God bless him, right? I mean, he's, you know, he's he was once uh, uh, an evangelical Christian type, and I think, I, I mean, maybe this is conjecture, but he he was more or less, I think, raised with the belief that, like, the Bible said it's true. And yeah. now he's reacting. Yeah, he, now he was he's a, raised very fundamentalist, yeah, I think. He's, he's a good scholar. He's a good scholar. I'm yeah, not trying absolutely. to take that away from him at yeah. all. He's he, obviously he probably knows more scholar. about the Bible than you, you Oh, and I he do. definitely knows yeah. more. Like, in um, terms of New Testament study, obviously, yes, he definitely brilliant. does. But, but the point is, is he's reacting, I think, to going like, well, in John's gospel, Jesus dies on this night, and in Matthew, he dies on this night, so how can we trust it at all? And I'm going... Yeah. Come on, Bart. That's not, you know, that's not really at issue here. Like, yeah. and, and people use this argument. I think, I don't know if it's that airtight, but I'll use it anyway to just kind of illustrate. Like, when, when the Titanic sank and you took eyewitnesses from the Titanic who were like, how did it go down? Some people described it as breaking in half when it sank, and some people said it never did that and it just sank completely. No one inferred from that that the Titanic just never sunk. That's right. No one went, oh, well, the stories differ, so this is wrong, right? Yeah. Now, this argument gets used all the time, and I know Bart has his rebuttals to that, but the point is, is it, I, I, it's my understanding that gospel, the, the way the Gospels are written, they're not concerned with this, this precision of like, they're concerned with a different kind of precision. Yeah. It's like we're trying to communicate something theological, actually, yeah. about what's really occurring here, and 
and again, and so then these were the texts that were being circulated, that were seen as authoritative, that the early church went, yeah, this is all, this is what we're doing. And then when something like the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Judas showed up, because they're later, they are yes. much later, right? Much Gospel later. of Thomas, much later. Um, they all of a sudden are using language that obviously Christians just went, it's not that this is some big controversy. This this doesn't fit within the narrative, the tradition that we're talking this about. This is fan fiction. This is fan, <laughs> it's fan fiction. That's a great way to yeah. put it, right? It is just... I think on the other side, though, too, like if we try to make everything in the Gospels a bit, if we, as we talked about last time, if we try to sand off some of those edges, mm. we lose something as well. Totally. Um, I mean, I've seen in cop shows a lot, you know, they pull in a bunch of witnesses or suspects mm. and their stories are way too similar. And they, and that's what, what is the solution lying. to yeah. that? Yeah, exactly. That's how you know they're lying. They've, they came up. They got together and said, if we, the cops catch us, this is what we're going to say. So, I mean, you can't win, I think, when it comes to people having um, doubts and questions about the, the Gospels. Because if they're too disparate in their views, we say, oh, they're, not, they're all talking about different things. They're all making it up. It's, right. not, it's not true. You can't do that. Too many discrepancies. But if, if then people say, no, but here's, here's how we can harmonize that and understand that a little better. Mm-hmm. Then they say, oh, that's just too convenient. You know, right. that's just too well put. I mean, it, it works, ag- are, it it works against itself, too, in the way yeah. that that um, I always think it's funny that for somebody to go, well, these discrepancies are there and therefore it can't be true. And it's like, obviously, the pre- the fathers of the church and the early church were well aware of the, you know, and they still saw it fit to put them together. That's right. So it's not like all of a sudden you'd go to somebody like Irenaeus and be like, hey, you know that uh, Jesus dies on a different night in this text. And he'd be like, what? Just Why didn't mind. anybody tell me this? <laughs> you know, obviously it has to, it's a different way of yeah. approaching and reading it, but... Well, think about science too, right? Like, you know, uh, we could we could look back on the history of science and say, at one point we thought this about the age of the earth, and then we thought about this, and then, you know, right. slowly but steadily, our, our understanding of certain facts about the physical universe mm-hmm. have changed. But we don't, therefore, look back on that history and say yeah science used to think this and now then it thought that i mean it doesn't even know yeah. what it believes we don't say that we say we're coming to right. a better understanding of things so i, I you know so, so science is a liar sometimes that's, that's right so <laughs> you can't kind of point at anything too harshly you know i think pointing at something too harshly being too critical is a sign not necessarily of what's wrong with the thing you're looking at, but you're, it's, it's a sign of your own, mm-hmm. what are your intentions? Right. You know, um, if you want to criticize something, you're going to find something to be critical about. Right. Um, in I su- anything. I suppose like one of the things that people can walk away from with those readings is that they end up then just going like, well, these are just made up stories though. Even if, even if all of what we've said about the discrepancies and stuff still don't deter from it being a fact, like, you know, these are just, these are just legends. These are just, you know, or or the kind of idea that Jesus was, you know, some itinerant, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? This guy wrote a book, uh, Reza Aslan wrote a book years ago called Zealot. And mm. basically just saying, like, you know, Jesus was this political zealot. This is who he was. And then this, like, myth kind of formed around him, right? And it's like, first of all, that mythology would never have taken off that quickly, okay? Yes. Like, I mean, the idea that people within his same lifetime are like, this guy's running around doing miracles, okay? This is a huge deal. That doesn't, that in yeah. other legendary tales, that would have to take 
thousands of years before that, hundreds yeah. of years. Paul's writing his that. letters, like, again, as you yeah. said, maybe two decades at the most, yeah, uh, that's right, when, the most. when he first started writing some of his and letters. That doesn't, you know, even with John being written, people think John is written maybe as the last gospel, uh, you know, post... Not 90s or 80s po- or something. Yeah, 90s or 80s, or, you know, and maybe some go later. Some go earlier, though. Some people say everything is pre-70 AD after the fall. Yeah. But anyway... Um, you know, that doesn't lessen its credibility. These are formed in a... And this is what I was saying in the first episode about, like, these are all... All of the Gospels are still handed to us as interpretations, right? It's not just raw, like, there's no Jesus behind the text. It's like, this is what... This is the teachings of Jesus being yeah. communicated by those that community who followed him, and it, and it manifests itself in this way. I think one of the things that I get at, and I've had this discussion with people, I realize where when they think that the Gospels are just a bunch of made-up stories or that there's no authority to any of these things, one of the things I like to argue from is not necessarily trying to convert them to the idea that these are all, like, you have to believe everything. But what I do like to press them on is the idea that regardless of whether you think the gospel writers were crazy or not, they believed this is what they saw. And that's a fact. Like you can't, you can believe that Matthew was wrong about what he thought he saw. You can believe that the resurrection didn't really happen and that Matthew's out of his mind. But what you can't say is Matthew's just making up a story about the resurrection. Yes, that he's mythologizing. That he's mythologizing. Matthew believes that this is what happened. John believes this is what happened. And that I think you can look at that from just a, a, a kind of uh, untethered historical approach and go, okay, we can reject it, but yeah. what you can't reject is the idea that clearly something happened that made them think this was the case. Um, they're not making this up. They think it to be true. And that I think can sometimes at least help rectify or just kind of re um, reimagine for people the, the way the Gospels uh, are, are formed and situated and what they're really doing. So uh, even skeptic scholars I've heard talk about this always seem to reckon with, at least the ones who I think are credible, reckon still with the fact that they're like, something had to have gone down. I mean, how do you, right. how do you get Paul the Apostle? How do you get yeah. some incredibly intense Jewish you know, prosecutor, persecutor of, uh, of Christianity radically converting and becoming its, like, main theologian. I mean, how do you have that overnight? You know what I mean? Like, that just, what, something happened, right? And so, uh, I I don't know, it lends credibility. It lends credibility, in my opinion. And I'm kind of steeped in that from an early time. Like, I, I had my... My original master's work was all in New Testament study, and yeah. uh, and and so I've always I've kind of moved away from that particular line of study. I'm more in just theology, systematic theology now, but I've always had that kind of grounding in like there is this deep factual basis to all of this that can't be overridden. Now I'm more interested in just how we read it and how we receive scripture, but the the basis for like. Did the resurrection really occur? Did all of the, you know, do these stories actually line up with each other? Is there a basis to all of it? Uh, it's really hard to actually push that aside. It's all there. It's all, absolutely, you know, and I've raised this before too, where in terms of manuscripts and dating the scripture, there's, there's no more authoritative ancient scripture in history. I mean, like you, we have, for instance, the writings of, of Plato, um, but it's like, how many manuscripts do we have of Plato? And when do we get the first original document? It's like the first original document that has come for hundreds of years after. Yeah. And we have like seven of them. 
we have thousands of manuscripts of the Bible, and we have them within the first century. Yeah. So again, there's another idea, I think, when people are, you know, the idea that Scripture is like, well, this was translated by so-and-so, and it was translated by so-and-so, and so you're just... No, we have the original languages. We found we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, which gave us the entire Old Testament almost verbatim the way we have them now. Like, it's a exactly. 99.9% accurate. So, like... Again, those kinds of lines of skepticism, uh, I don't, I don't engage with anymore. It's really a matter of just like, do you just believe what, what it's saying? It occurred, you know, and yeah, the language is is going to use sometimes theological imagery to express something that doesn't need to be taken so literally, but it's all based in in like, no, this is what we're still reporting this to have happened. Yeah, if that makes sense, right? I mean, this is. You know, and so for a lot of people, I just think there's a difficulty for them in they want a white knuckle like this had to have happened exactly this way because it's how the Bible said it. Or on the other side, the other extreme is being like, no, because it says it in that way, it's too bizarre and I have to throw it all out. Yes. And, I, I, I yeah. heard in one documentary, uh, a Christian, um, like sort of fundamentalist, very literalist Christian from the States say and he was talking about the six-day creation. If you doubt the literal six-day creation, then you throw things open to doubting anything, doubting that Jesus rose from the dead and everything. Yeah, that's... I I mean, I find that hilarious. That's sort of that extreme I think you're talking about there, where you white-knuckle, you know, you have to believe everything, um, which um, is counterproductive you can to say see the least. you can see how someone gets there because yes. they believe you know they go like well paul talks about adam and therefore yada yada or jesus talks about adam and you know yeah. therefore it has to be and and the the issue i mean like what's one of the funny things about that is like so somebody like saint augustine <laughs> therefore didn't know what he was talking about right i mean because like, augustine thought it was silly that anyone would take literally yeah literally um, in the way we talk about literal yeah some of um, the other early church fathers were like it's, you don't necessarily need. Oh to yeah, they believe they would refer. Literally. They go. Uh, some of them are quite, quite, um, almost rude with their language. I mean, they're yeah. going like only a simpleton would believe that this is literal in the sense we use literal. They believe yes. it to be literal in the way that it's it's literal. It's written as a story, as a narrative. But of course, this is trying to explain events that are. And so, yeah, this is another way in which I think we try and pigeonhole. Like scripture has to be this thing for it to, you know, we we put the Bible on a shelf and tell it what it's supposed to be, yeah. rather than going like, well, no, that you know, this 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 is I, metaphor maybe too too light of a term, but I mean, you know, there's using they're using allegory, they're using all kinds of imagery and stuff here. Um, also, the Bible's just not concerned with some of the questions you might have. Yeah, I think that's always one of the, you know, like that's yeah, written in a different creation, culture. To be like, well, that trying to date the age of the earth from the Bible is like, what is the Hebrews are not concerned with this? Like, they're not trying to, you know, do that. Um, this is really more about covenant relationship and who God is in Himself. It's, you know, so um, sometimes I think we get lost on those. We meander into territories. It's just like you're getting away from what is important. As a result of that, we hammer this into our children, and then they grow up and become atheists because they're just like. Well, this is all a bunch of nonsense, yeah, right? Absolutely. They haven't been given a sort of free, you know, uh, a sense in which scripture and and exploring it is is actually open to uh, deeper interpretations without it actually wildly spinning into just saying anything you want. Okay, yeah. um, but uh, but we it's interesting that Marcion. I think this is one of the things I find interesting is that we find it 
Marcion is is as early as he is reading the Bible literally like that. So it existed then, but we tend to see it as a more modern problem. We tend to see it as a sort of like post-enlightenment rationalist problem mm. where we live in the scientific landscape and we, and I, I'm sure it looks a little different than what Marcion was doing, but sure. it, it is kind of the same thing, right? We are trying to make sense of it all. And, uh, and this goes again to what we said in the episode before this of, the Bible, though, is using a vocabulary and a language that's trying to immerse you in a way of life um, that is, in a sense, you know, I'm kind of a Christian existentialist in this way. That I'm like, you can't really know what Christianity is or how true it is until you're trying to live it practically as, a, as an actual theology, as a life lived, right? In prayer, in meditation, in reading the scripture, in being absorbed by the word of God. So... That's how it functions, right? It um, uh, all for the purposes of a certain teleology, a way. Where do we aimed at? What are, what are Christians aimed at? What's the right? goal? What's the goal? The beatific vision, like right? We're communion with God. We are trying to commune with God. We're trying to participate in the triune life, right? That's anyway. That that all of that stuff. If we don't have a clear sense, I think, of where we're heading with all of this, it it informs our reading of Scripture, mm. and it and it can distort it. I mean, there's another way in which some readings of Scripture lead people to a purely social gospel, where we're trying to build the kingdom here. Um, that is problematic to me, also. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's uh, it. I love. There's a line from Stanley Hauerwas in his Matthew commentary, um, the Brazos series, where he says, "Christians are not. I'm paraphrasing, but Christians are not." meant to change the world, but to live in response to a world that's been changed. Mm. Right? That's a very that's a different approach. But like, think about how that would approach make you approach Scripture differently yeah. in terms of what is it doing? What is it functioning as? What is it, you know? So those are but some th- of the concerns. I, yeah, I think, I think a lot of what we're saying here is that there, there needs to be a healthy balance. We can take, we can go to extremes. Uh, you know, uh, What's our what's our man we're talking about again? Marcion. Marcion. Oh my goodness, <laughs> I forgot Marcion. Marcion, uh, you know, went to an extreme. Yeah. Um, he was ready to to throw out certain parts of the Bible. Um, social gospel goes to an extreme. Mm. Uh, fundamentalists go to the opposite extreme. You know, right? We just want to we want to be able to avoid going too far, and that's why I think, as we said in our last episode, it's so important that we're reading the Bible in community. And not just a community in a, in a sense of a of a particular community, but let's let's be in contact with Christians who think maybe a little differently than me. Right. You know, Catholics or Eastern Orthodox, Mennonites, everyone. Yeah. You know, th- who I, has different well, ideas. That, Otherwise, how do I grow that, if I don't hear from someone who has a different opinion than me? That's been the you know there was a a, a period of time, especially in the last like fifty years, where ecumenism. The idea of bringing together denominations and and you know east and west and trying to bridge those gaps was sort of the main emphasis. This is where actually talking about post liberal theology as we have been, um, that's where a lot of the impetus for it comes from. Is yeah. for you know how can we read scripture in such a way that we can read it together, yeah. and um, we recognize how difficult that is. Yeah. It's just an incredibly difficult, because there's so many things that we don't want to concede, and we don't want to write, and can we still kind of get along with our differences? And this goes back to that, actually, it, it, this kind of comes full circle to the formation of the canon, and the original sort of, like, push there was was you also had the formation of the creeds as a sort of, like, based on the, based on the text we're reading, based on what scripture is, and what we've been handed, what the tradition is, what are the core principle things that we need to agree on 
in order to be unified. And so the creed doesn't start off as just an arbitrary like thing written down. It starts off as what's called the regular fide, the rule of faith of like, we, we center ourselves on the fact that I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in his son, Jesus Christ. Who are, you know, we, we, and that language is already present in all these early church fathers. It's yeah. already in their writings before it's brought together and said, these are, the four, these are the core things. These are the core things. And if we can agree on that, then we are Christians. We can share in the, in the Eucharist together. We can be together in community. And then, then the rest of scriptural interpretation in the Bible and diving deeper into that deep dive huh? uh, matters well for us and uh, can, uh, can, can form us and shape us together in a community. You know what? Maybe we can contribute in this podcast to ecumenism. Mm-hmm. And we can bring the churches together, and maybe we can have a new pope. Like, do you think? I think you and I should, would <laughs> probably be good, not a good way to start with dual popes. <laughs> no, that, that two, doesn't two work. Popes I, doesn't I went. Work? I went too far. I think far we there, tried that I? once in history, and it really uh, okay. Then fine, I'll be the new pope <laughs> of the new ecumenical church. Uh, yeah, good call. Yeah. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of The Deep Dive. If you enjoyed this conversation and want to stay engaged with what we're doing, you can hit the like and subscribe button on YouTube, or you can subscribe or follow wherever you download your podcasts. When you like and subscribe, you support the ministry here at Deepwater Church, and we are truly thankful for that. Now, hitting the subscribe button will not earn you your salvation, but it will keep Colin from crying. We'll see you next week on The Deep Dive.